two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Action Network NFL Podcast. It is the Week 11 Friday show. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. And joining me to break down all of the games coming up this weekend is Chris Raybon, a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of I'll Take That Bet on ESPN+. You can follow him in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon. Chris, let's uh, unfortunately kick off by looking back at last week. Uh, <laughs> we were 1-5. I was 1-5. We were total <sighs> I mean, I don't even know what to say. On the season, you're 27, 30, and 2. Uh, I am far behind that at 24, 31, and 4. I just have to say, like, big picture, I feel like we're giving an inaccurate representation because we're picking these on the games that are getting the most action in the app, and it's not necessarily, like, the bets that we are making. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but, I mean, we're still fucking up because... Oh, I mean, we're... T- yeah, we're totally <laughs> like, like, because, like, re- in reality, what we should just be doing with all of these bets is less analysis and more just like fade the public because that's really what we're supposed to be doing with these like highly bet games but like a lot of times we end up taking favorites or overs which burns us on our records in these bets yeah it's it's not good my takeaway from week 10 is pretty much the takeaway i've had every week i need to stick to props and uh stay away from games or change change my strategy with games and and spreads and and overs and unders because it's not working but uh, yeah, I'm still doing okay on the props. And that, of course, is because of the Fantasy Labs props tool, which is powered by our industry-leading projections created by Sean Corner, a.k.a. the Odds Maker. This season, the NFL props with a bet quality of 10 are 179, 89, and 6, good for a hit rate of 65%. To access the tool, subscribe to Fantasy Labs, where you can get a five-day trial for just $15.95. Chris, earlier this week, you did the Monday show with Ian Harditz. I did the Wednesday show with Peter Jennings and Odds Maker. Ian was actually the guest for that show. Great show. Ian, of course, is a mm-hmm. very knowledgeable Amazing. dude. Uh, everyone should check out that show. And then we've got the Friday show. If you are enjoying the Action Network NFL podcast, please rate and review the show. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Let's jump into it. Uh, our first and five segment, we're going to break down the five games that right now are getting the most action in the Action Network app, the games that have the five highest ticket counts. What a game to start with. The 5-4 and four Titans at the 4-5 uh, and five Colts. Colts favored by one. Actually, now I'm looking at this in, in the app uh, and also on the live odds page at Action Network. That game has moved to a pick'em. A 49-point over-under. The spread is down from three. The total is up from 48. The Titans are coming off a big win against the Patriots. Mariota is starting to look fully healthy. The Colts have won three straight games and are doing a really good job of keeping Andrew Luck upright. What? Are your thoughts on this game? You've got to take the coats in this, but I feel like I think that this line is an overreaction to the Titans covering the spread and pulling off the upsets against two, first of all, teams that the public actually loves to bet on in the Dallas Cowboys and the New England Patriots. And so now, you know, this game is kind of moving down to a pickup. I do understand it. I think the Colts, the Colts defense is still pretty bad. Andrew Lux is kind of living very dangerously. He has three or more touchdown passes in six straight games. He has multiple touchdown passes in all but one of his games this year. And then at the same time, he's got a 6.7 yard per attempt figure, which ranks 30th in the league. And that's right down there with Darnold, 
Rosen, Flacco, and Allen are the only ones below him. So it, it's kind of like a slippery slope with him. But if this game is a pick em, especially with Indianapolis at home, just give me the better the better quarterback in that spot. Uh, there's nothing really else I would kind of put above that at this point than, than taking a, the better quarterback in a game where I think both of these defenses aren't great. I know Tennessee has played uh, better at times, but I trust Andrew Luck at home. Yeah. So to give you some insight into my horrible non-winning process, when some lines come out on Sunday night, the first thing I do is if I have like a, a gut reaction, like a, a lean right away, I will put just a little bit on the side that I have a lean on. That way, like, I feel like I have something on it, right? And my lean immediately was Tennessee plus three, right? Like that was my lean. And then as the week has progressed, I've talked myself into Indianapolis. And now that it is a pick like part of me is like, I need to take Indy at a pick and like hope I can maybe sort of like middle this or something. Although I don't, I don't think that's like a, a great middle, but like if you listen to the, the Wednesday edition of the favorites podcast, Bob Scucci has like clearly said the sharps are on Tennessee in this game. And like, I mentally, like I feel that, but like my heart is like, no, the more I dig into this, the better team is clearly the Colts. Like I, I might be wrong, but like, I'm, I'm not really all that impressed by Tennessee's defense. I know that they have done a good job against the Patriots, but other than that, I don't think they have any really good wins on their record. And I think like the Patriots, that's more of a like they match up well specifically with the Patriots. And like there was so there were so many like revenge angles in that game with the Patriots, like guys who have been in that organization that it, it just seemed like that's maybe more of an isolated thing. I don't know if I want to put too much stock into what happened last week. And if you are discounting that week. It's like, what do they have on their record that would make you feel they could actually beat the Colts in Indianapolis when the Colts seem to be getting better each week? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, like, to, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't see a big difference between these teams. I just think that, you know, we're not the only ones that, that you know, obviously listen to, to Scooch and listen to the pods and, and just kind of monitor this stuff. So I think that this sharp action, you know, that people knowing that the Sharps are on Tennessee has kind of just driven the line a little bit too far. Like, I, I think that these teams are pretty evenly matched. I think Tennessee, I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee went into Indianapolis and won this game. I think they're playing a lot smarter, too. They have Deion Lewis on the field for about 80% of their snaps now. I think that's smart. Corey Davis getting a 31% target share. I think that's smart when you don't really have many other players with, uh, with Delaney Walker, you know, out. And so I think Tennessee is a, a solid team. I think they've overachieved a bit on defense, but it's just like as a pick em with Indianapolis at home with the better quarterback, I'm going to go in that direction. But like, I, I wouldn't, to be honest with you, be surprised if Tennessee won this game. Like I'm, I'm done underestimating uh, Tennessee. I think a lot of that came from when they lost to Buffalo earlier in the year, but we've seen that Buffalo, I mean, they're bad, but they're not like all time bad. Like they could beat NFL teams any given Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me. And like, so I, I took a small position on this on Sunday night. I don't think I'm going to put any more on this in either direction because I don't feel that strongly about this game. But if I had to pick something now, I think I'd probably go with India to pick. Let's go to the next game. The four and five Cowboys at the four and five Falcons. Falcons favored by three, a 48.5 over under. The spread is down from four and a half. The total is up from 
where is it? I believe 49. Uh, no, 47 and a half. The total is up from 47 and a half. I'm putting the wrong numbers in my spreadsheet here. Uh, both teams need a win to stay in the wild card race. The Cowboys are coming off a big win on Monday night football in Philadelphia. The Falcons are coming off a disappointing road loss to the Browns. Atlanta, for some reason, they got me last week because I thought they would go over their total with Cleveland. And amazingly, it was Cleveland that ended up, you know, going over their total and and Atlanta didn't do their part to get the game over the total. But they had that one good game against Washington on the road. But besides that, they've scored 17 or fewer points in their other three road games. But the Falcons have scored 31 or more in four of the five home games. So it's it's a situation where I don't know how valid that is in a small sample. But you do tend to see that sometimes with these dome teams. We've seen this from Atlanta before. Matt Ryan's numbers have been better at home. So. That combined with the fact that Deion Jones or not, this defense really scares me just in terms of how how bad it can be. I mean, they gave up 23 carries for 191 yards and a touchdown to Cleveland backs last week. Another eight catches for 70 yards and two touchdowns to Cleveland running backs in the passing game. They, Baker Mayfield was 17 of 20 and had three touchdowns. I mean, I think that both of these teams, especially Dallas, with getting a little bit better in the passing game now that they're playing uh, Michael Gallup 80% of the snaps, now that they have Amari Cooper. Zeke looks better out there as well. I, I'm, I'm going with the over in this one. I think it's a pretty kind of tame over-under after the Falcons went under last week. But uh, back at home, I, like, I, like, I feel a little more confident in the over than I do in which team at this point is going to win this game. So the, this close spread, I'm, I'm not really trying to touch it. Yeah, if I were picking on on the over under, I would go over here. I definitely understand it. I think 48 and a half is low considering just how good the Falcons are on offense and how poor they are on defense. But, you know, I'm like a self-respecting Cowboys hating fan, you know. <laughs> so like I have to pick against them in this spot. And like part of this is a probably a reaction, more specifically an overreaction to my inability last week to see that uh, Cowboys-Eagles Monday night game for what it was. Like, I, I picked the Eagles. I thought the Eagles would crush the Cowboys. I didn't really think of how much of a get-up game that was for the Cowboys, right? And, and, like, so my bold call on the Wednesday show was that the Falcons are going to crush the Cowboys in this game because I think this is a, a letdown spot from what was, like, a huge spot for the Cowboys last week. Like, the division is on the line. They're facing division rivals. If they hate any team in their division most, I think it's probably the Eagles at this point. They're facing the world champs, right, who sent a kicker out on the stage at the draft in Dallas to mock them about missing out on a tight end named Dallas the day that their longtime franchise (laughs) tight end retired. It's just like – there's like so much bad blood between these teams and it was just such a massive spot. But like now I'm thinking like they, they have to come down from that. Like Garrett cannot pull like a Ron Rivera and become like a, like a gambling type of play caller. Like that's just not who he is. He can maybe do that one game. Right. And so like they had the fake punt, they lined up to go for it on fourth down. But, like, that's what it would take for them, I think, to win this game. And that's not the type of team that they are. So, like, I'm expecting, like, a total regression back to their <laughs> normal incompetent play calling. So, like, I'm, I'm hammering 
the Falcons minus three. I think this is a double-digit win for them. And I, I might be wrong, and, you know, if I'm wrong, then whatever, my, my team wins, and I, I still hate them and hate myself. But uh, I'm definitely picking Atlanta in this game. This is, this is where fanhood takes you, because, like, I'm sitting here looking at this game like, I think the Falcons will win it by about three points. Like, it's just hilarious how, like, when you're a fan of a team, man, it's just, like, it's kind of like a win-win. Like, you have to bet against them because then if you, if they lose, you win your bet. But if they win, you lose your bet, but your team won. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I would rather win my bet and see them lose <laughs> because I'm just counting on them losing anyway. But I think the return of Deion Jones, and you mentioned, you know, like, even with his return, this is still a defense that needs a lot of help. But I think his return will help a lot in the running game. And, like, that's, that's all the Cowboys have at this point. Like, I'm still not putting a lot of faith in their passing game. So I think the return of Deion Jones, uh, that should help them a little bit both in run defense and in pass defense against running backs. And, like, I, I think his return – is going to make a substantial difference. I think it will keep the Cowboys from extending drives. Uh, the four and five Eagles at the eight and one Saints. Saints favored by eight and a half. A 56 point over under. The spread is down from nine. The total is up from 54 and a half. The Eagles are yet to win two games in a row this year, and the Saints have won eight games in a row uh, since barely losing their home opener. Uh, not barely losing, but since losing their home opener. What are your thoughts on this game? I think uh, if. This is one where if I'm taking the spread here, I am going against the public and I'm just, I'm taking the Eagles. I think that their game against the Cowboys, I mean, I don't think they were particularly bad or like, you know, had a big letdown. I think that Carson Wentz interception where he just didn't see, uh, I believe it was Vander Esch, the linebacker early on in the game, just kind of was a play that ultimately ended up kind of costing them a little bit more just because it, it kind of turned the field around or whatnot. But I think I'm going with the over in this game because – I trust New Orleans to score points back at home in the dome. Yeah, uh, we know Philly. They're deep. Like we see, we saw Dallas kind of come in there into Philly and put up a decent amount of points on them. So we know their defense isn't like this prohibitive defense that's going to really slow down a team like the Saints at home in the dome. And then on the other side, I still think the Eagles are a good team and they have a good offense. I mean, I, we saw Zach Ertz go bonkers. Carson Wentz, he has had a lot of dropped interceptions. So that's the thing. His, uh, his touchdown to interception ratio looks a little better than it actually should be. But at the same time, he's still playing well. He's got an additional weapon now in Golden Tate with a, with a whole week to prepare. I think that's really going to – I think they're going to use him a lot more this week. Obviously, Nelson Aguilar. And, and they're, they're a deep team with a deep offense. And I think, you know, the Saints defense isn't really that good. You know, they just happen to run into a Bengals team that didn't have A.J. Green, which, of course, changes the whole dynamic of that offense. So – I trust that points will be scored more than I trust that New Orleans will win big or win by like nine or 10 instead of eight or seven or six. So I am going with the over, what is it, 56th in this game. Yeah. If you look in the Bet Labs tools available, obviously through Sports Insights, part of the Action Network, uh, if you look at those tools and you look specifically at Drew Brees' games in the Superdome, for the entirety of his time in New Orleans. So since 2006, you will see that Saints overs have been the most profitable overs for the last like 12 plus years. It's basically just because, well, you have multiple things going on here, but primarily like Drew Brees at home in the dome, they score points and their defense historically has been bad enough to allow opponents to score enough points to juice the overs significantly. So like blindly just taking the over here 
is always like, it's, it's hard to say it's always sharp, but it's definitely not dumb because like for the last 12 years, it's paid off. So I, I definitely see the over here. And, the, and then for all of the other reasons that you mentioned, the matchup of the, the two defenses, right? Specifically the fact that the Eagles secondary is so injured right now. I can definitely see how New Orleans scores a lot of points. I'm taking New Orleans because I like how they match up against this defense. I'm going against the Sharps in this, and I wouldn't actually bet it at eight and a half. I think the line will drop a little bit more. But, you know, for the purposes of this, I'm I'm taking it at eight and a half. It doesn't seem as if I'm quite as high on the Eagles offense as you are. Like, I think they will score a respectable number of points, but not enough to challenge the Saints. Really? I mean, I think, like, so the Eagles offense, the reason I have a lot of confidence in them is, number one, Carson Wentz was playing at an MVP level last year. um, And he's, like I said, he had this really bad interception against Dallas. But besides that, you know, he's still playing at a really high level. I mean, if you look at his numbers, you know, he put up 360 against Dallas. Um, A lot of that was on, on on the final play, but he still got around 300 even without that. I think he's playing at a high level. I think Golden Tate, just adding him adds a whole nother element where Golden Tate's returning punts for this team. He's another weapon to, to line up in the slot. We saw Nelson Aguilar get deep last week, which is, was like a staple of their offense last year that they were kind of lacking this year. We, we constantly make fun of Aguilar for his like nine target, 31 yard games. Uh, so I think that, that, like having Tate as another option inside kind of frees him up because they were using, uh, they felt like they had to use Jordan Matthews more on the outside. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm guessing it had something to do with it's just how they felt um, their three guys worked best together um, without Mike Wallace or whatnot. But uh, I think the Saints defense is just one that, you know, it's not it's not imposing at all. And so, like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles won this game, for example. Like, like this is the, really? the, the classic. Yeah, this is the classic game where the public's all over the, the, the Saints. They're like on their way to the Super Bowl. Um, they're going to be essentially better than either the Chiefs or Rams after one of them loses on Sunday. And the Eagles lost the national TV to Dallas. And it's like everyone's down the Eagles. But in reality, I think this is still a pretty good team. I, like my, my, my opinion on the Eagles hasn't changed since last week. And, and that was even after rewatching the Cowboys game. So I'm, I like the Eagles. I would bet them. Uh, and I'm, I very well made because the line seems to keep going in the other direction. Yeah, interesting. I mean, you, you could be right. The one thing is that I don't trust the Eagles' offensive line as much as you do. I don't think it's as yeah. good as it was last year. So I, I think that is that's something that's significant. Uh, the next game, this is a good game. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a good game, but it's an intriguing game. The 6-2 and two Steelers at the 3-6 and six Jags. Steelers favored on the road by 5.5 points, a 47-point over-under. The spread is down from 6. The total is down from 47.5. The Steelers have won five straight uh, after starting 1-2-1. and one. The Jags have lost five straight. And, of course, this is a rematch of last year's classic divisional round game uh, that the Jags won 45-42. to What are your thoughts? So I'll start off by talking about the spread because I'm going to actually make a pick on the over-under, but I think the spread is worth talking about. So um, this is another kind of classic spot where I think the public has overreacted a little bit. First of all, the Steelers, we know they, they smash at home. Um, so they kind of went on national TV against the Panthers and what everyone thought would be a good game, a close game. The, the spread was within a touchdown, and the, the Steelers dominated. They put up over 50 points. But home favorites on Thursday Night Football are covering at about a 62% rate, uh, going all the way back to 2003, which uh, I found out using BetLab software. So it's tough to go on the road and play a good team on, on a short week. And so the Steelers took advantage of that. Now they're going on the road, and they're favored by this like five 
what is it? Five, five and a half, five and a half right yeah, now. I think that, yeah, I think that number is just, I just think that number is a little bit too high. I know the Jags have lost a lot of games, but you know, with Fournette back, that defense is still playing. The past defense is still playing well. AJ Bouye is back. These are like the prime spots for the Steelers to kind of underperform. So I don't, I don't trust them really, I would say, I would say to win, um, much less cover. But at the same time, like, I don't like how the Jaguars match up to them on offense because over the last five weeks, so the Steelers have won five straight, the Jags have lost five straight. So over those five games, like the Steelers are number one on defense and yards per player allowed. They're number one in uh, net yards per pass allowed. Uh, they're top six in yards per carry allowed at uh, about 3.8. So like the Jags have been inefficient, even with Fournette back him and Carlos Hyde combined are averaging under three yards per carry they're at 2.6 combined with the Jags so like their run game even though it's like this power run game and it's better than when it's just TJ Yeldon it's still not very efficient they're going against a team that doesn't allow much efficiency and then on the other side you have an offense that's going against one of the top pass defenses in the league statistically so I'm taking the under in this game for those reasons over over kind of touching the spread because I just I don't know I don't really feel as confident on going either way with that spread yeah you know you're right (laughs) you're yeah I mean if if I were betting the the over or the under on this I would clearly take the under and I talked about this in in the quarterback breakdown yes um but yeah even with all pros Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and maybe like even because of them on the road the Steelers are the worst team in over under record. That's 10 and 26 since yes. 2014. And I think in part, it's just because they are so dynamic at home, you know, bookmakers or the public or whatever, they just overvalue the ability of that team to put up points on the road. So yeah, I think the under is, is the better side in this, especially because they, they are facing a very good defense stupidly i'm taking pit minus five and a half i'm laying the points here and you are totally right in that on the action network i'm just being a donkey about this <laughs> on the action network we have an article that specifically looks at our our power rankings through the week 11 context and the title of the article is the steelers are the most overvalued team this week <laughs> right so like i am clearly on the wrong side of this i don't care i'm not siding with blake Bortles in this i should be smart and take the under but i think this is a game where you know like road splits be damned the steelers like just absolutely smash the jags and this is the end of the blake Bortles era I mean, I could totally, you know, it's hilarious. And this, this, this is exactly why I don't want to bet the spread in this game is because I could see exactly what you're talking about, but I could also see the Jaguars winning this game 37 to 9. Oh, it could, this, yeah. It could, it could, <laughs> it could be one of those like Blake Bortles, yeah. nowhere, yes. like 400 yards, four just, touchdowns. Just like the, the defense, yeah. like, like every, I, yeah. and this is not just the Steelers. Like I should, like, it just seems to happen with the Steelers more often than not. NFL teams in general, like there's usually just a game or two at least a year where you go on the road and your defense just does not show. And I, and we've seen this happen to the Steelers before. I think it was last year against the Bears where the Bears just ran for like 200 yards on them, just banged them all over the place. It's like sometimes a physical team, a team like the Jags with Fournette and Hyde, I mean, they're not efficient, but I think if they can get real physical with the Steelers on the road and at these early starts, I could see anything happening. So, but I feel you. It's a slippery slope with Blake Bortles. Keelan Cole has been banished. He's been vanquished to the bench. DJ Chark is starting over him now. So, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things going on with that offense. All right, final game here. The 6-3 and three Texans at the 6-3 and three Redskins. Texans favored by three. 
a 42 and a half point over under the total is down from 43. The Texans have won six straight and are coming off a bye. The Redskins have won four or five, uh, but they've scored more than 24 points just once this season. Chris, what are you doing with this game? Oh, I'm, I'm in Houston, man. I like, uh, so the Redskins, they beat the Buccaneers 16 to three last week. And I think a lot of people were probably surprised. Number one, that the game, the total was so low. Number two, that the Redskins won by so many points. I rewatched that game and just have never seen a luckier team to win by that many points in a game. So they come out in this game. Uh, they win it 16 to three. They give up over 400 yards passing to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Again, he runs for 35 more. Peyton Barber ha- like, looks like Marshawn Lynch. He-, he runs for a very efficient 13 for 61. Alex Smith goes 27 attempts for 178 yards against the league's worst pass defense. It's under uh, seven yards an attempt. And... Tampa Bay happens to turn the ball over four times and miss two field goals. And somehow Washington gets this victory. I mean, I think this, like, they have no O-line. I just, I, I can't bet on Washington. Like, Houston still has Deshaun Watson. They don't have Will Fuller, but they have, they have Demarius Thomas. Jordan Thomas, their rookie tight end, is developing into a good red zone weapon for uh, Watson. He has three touchdowns, so that's kind of helping replace some of that kind of outlying touchdown production from Will Fuller. And I, I just think that the, uh, the Texans are a better team. And, and also there are some trends kind of back in this one. So road favorites after a bye, 58, 26, and two uh, since 2003. That is, uh, that's a 69% cover rate against the spread for going back uh, 15 years. So that's, that's a pretty – I like that one. So I'm going, I'm going yeah. Houston. I'm like, I, I, I have no trust in the Redskins. Yeah. No. So I, I'm, I'm taking the Redskins, and I have, I have no faith in the <laughs> Niners. Of course. You know how there are – and maybe this is how you feel, um, like, about the, the Titans maybe or, or how some mm-hmm. people feel about the Titans. But, like, there are just these teams each year. And maybe, like, the Titans last year are this, this type of team that have, like, no business winning games but keep on winning games through, like, some combination of, like, good enough defense – ball control offense quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over and like that's what they are smith is not a good quarterback i think he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league but he doesn't turn the ball over their offensive line is significantly injured which definitely gives me cause for concern but you know they're going to run the ball and i i know Mm -hmm. this sounds weird but i don't have much faith in um I'm going to say something that sounds totally stupid, but I don't have like a ton of faith in the Texans offense without Will Fuller. Like, I don't think Demarius Thomas is like a, an efficient receiver. Like, I think the more they target him, the worse that is for their team. Okay. You know what I I mean? I mean, that's fair, but let's remember that Deshaun Watson threw three, three balls to Thomas in the first quarter last week. And, and I don't think he looked at him ever, like, like, since. Like, I think he realized this pretty quickly because I don't think Demary's caught another ball after the first quarter. But, like, I, I just think the Redskins, they are a team that's built, like you said, to win by playing ball control and running the football. That is all well and good, except you are facing the team that is ranked number one in run defense, DVOA, in the Houston Texans. You're facing a team that has a dynamic quarterback and a top two or three receiver in this league that can put up points in a hurry. Like at one point, I think they had a graphic in last week's game, uh, two weeks ago when the Broncos played the the Texans, that that said Deshaun Watson has thrown a touchdown pass on like seven of his last 18 attempts. Like if the Texans get any type of lead in this game, I have zero confidence 
that Washington can mount a comeback, especially after seeing them score 16 points, 14 points at home against the Falcons, and then 16 points against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Like, seeing that is more damning than the fact that they, they actually went one and one against those two teams. Right. It's just like, I, I don't know. Like, I can't do it. Like, I feel confident that Houston wins this game. Like, I would take the money line. Um, you know, like, maybe they don't win by three. Maybe it's one of those things. But, like, if Washington wins this game, I'm going to be surprised and I'm going to be down another bet to you. But, um, I, yeah, I feel, I feel good about Houston in this spot. Like, I just, right. I just feel like they can't catch up. So two things. One, you're forgetting that run defense doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. But when you said it yourself, when you have a team like Washington, yeah. it matters. It matters a little more. And by the way, Washington is number 28 in run defense th- themselves. So if this game is one of those kind of like lower scoring games, it still favors Houston. Yeah. Uh, second of all, and, and this is to your point. Washington has not had a lead change in any of their games this year. No <laughs> Randall, but yeah, like just for, for the first 10 weeks of the season, if they've yeah. gotten behind, they've stayed behind to that point. If they've gotten ahead, they've stayed ahead. I don't know if I put any like predictiveness onto that fact or not. Like, in fact, I, I don't, I think that's just sort of like a random type of thing. I think if they get behind the Texans easily could come back, but um I'm taking the plus three with a team that's at home playing a team that I think is not actually all that good. Like, I don't, I don't think Houston is all that good. This is a surprising take to me just because I feel like number one, Houston, as far as I know, I think we all were on Houston's uh, win total, right? Like to before the year. Yeah. Like they were at like, yeah. So like, I I thought Houston, I thought we did expect Houston to be pretty good and they just kind of had some hiccups early on but in reality they lost a lot of one score games um, I, I do get like they've played in a lot of one score games so maybe they aren't this good but maybe they, maybe they aren't anywhere near as bad as we initially thought either like maybe they're closer to being dominant than we really think I mean like Deshaun Watson he's the real deal you have yeah. a defense with Clowney Watt like maybe this team should be nine and oh like that because like, that's really what we when you look at this team's yeah. schedule like I'm just saying like Houston is not a team that like I don't I don't have anything uh, – I don't really have anything bad to say, I, I would say, about Houston. I mean, I feel really good about the Texans, like, not only in this game, but in general moving forward. Like, I feel like if there's a team to kind of come out of nowhere and, like, surprise people, upset some people, and maybe end up in the AFC Championship like the Jaguars did last year, my money would be on uh, the Texans. Okay. that's This is actually really interesting. So, it seems as if you feel fairly confident they will win the division. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, like, you are viewing them as a playoff team, as a division-winning team, and I'm viewing them as a team that will not win the division. That's kind of, like, the difference, I think, between how we're viewing them. So, so like, I'm thinking this is not a team that's going to win the division. So, what – just, like, what – I guess my question is, like, what changed for you since the preseason um, besides the Fuller injury, or is it really just the impact of the Fuller injury? Part of it is the Fuller injury, and part of it is how good – luck has looked within his offense and how that offense with the Colts continues to improve each week. Wouldn't you argue that, you know, being like the kind of like stat heads, heavy guys that we are, like, we know that the Colts offense, like, and I love what Andrew Luck's doing this year, but like, wouldn't you argue that we know the Colts offense is more likely to regress because they're the ones with the low yard per attempt. Like they're the ones in the bottom of the league in yard per attempt, kind of living off these like improbable touch. I mean, Eric Ebron has had, Three touchdowns in the first half last week, and the Colts scored twenty nine points in yeah. the game. Like, 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 you know, like this. Their team is like they're on a slippery slope 
Um, like, for example, we just talked, like I just talked, like, we, we, we wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee won this game. Like, I think the value is on the Colts at a pick them, but Tennessee could easily win this game in, in Indianapolis. Like, I, I don't know. I, this is surprising to me. I, I just feel like the, uh, you could argue, I guess, like, okay, team with the better quarterback. But I mean, like Deshaun Watson is so good that like, it's not like he's like a queer, oh my God, like he's in a whole nother league than Andrew Luck. Like Andrew Luck is the better quarterback. He has the track record, but Watson's the more efficient quarterback and their, their defense is much better. So that, that yeah. to me just gives them an edge. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, for part, I mean, we are so far afield from talking <laughs> about just this game, but the reason why I give the Colts the edge, I think their defense is improving like relative to what it was last year. Their offense, like I much prefer Frank Reich as the coach and as the play caller to the, the, the guy that is in fair. Houston. That is fair. Like, that, that's who, who was very one. close to losing his job but, in the middle of the season. You, you're talking about Bill? You're talking about yeah. Bill O'Brien? Yeah. But I mean, Bill also had this team like nine and seven in every year, but the, but the year where like in, he just had like the Armageddon of injury of, you know, like seasons. Like, I, like, I mean, I don't love Bill O'Brien, but I, I can't like knock the guy. Like, I think, didn't he go nine and seven with Rock Osweiler? Well, yeah, but you know, okay, I can't knock him. I mean, there's Vance Josephs out here. You can't knock Bill O'Brien. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, all right, all right. Uh, we, we have the two minute drill next, right after we check in with John Ewing for some trend based sports betting insights. Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with Trend of the Week. Oakland is bad, and betters know it. The Raiders are 2-7 and seven against the spread in 2018, which helps explain why nearly 70% of spread tickets are on the Cardinals, who are 5-3-1 and one against the spread. But something the public doesn't know, bad against the spread teams have been profitable against good against the spread teams. Since 2003, teams that have covered the spread in 30% or less of their games, like the Raiders, have gone 244 and 187. That's a 57% win rate against the spread when playing an opponent that has won 60% or more of their games against the spread, like the Cardinals. Not only does history suggest Oakland is undervalued, but the Action Network NFL simulations has Arizona winning Sunday's matchup on average by 2.1 points. With the current line at Cardinals minus 5, there is at least a field goal of value on the Raiders. All right, that was John Ewing. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network. Chris, the two-minute drill, which is definitely not a two-minute drill. We're going to uh, run through all the remaining non-primetime games in two minutes or as close as we can get to it. Let's go. The 6-3 and three Panthers at the 3-6 and six Lions. Panthers favored by 4.5, a 49.5 over under. The Panthers are coming off a Thursday night football loss. The Lions have lost three straight, 65% of the tickets, but 96% of the money is on the under. 96% of the money might be on the under because in weeks one through eight, Matthew Stafford held the ball more than two and a half seconds in the pocket on 46% of his dropbacks. That was the, that's 27th in the week. Um, that means he's getting the ball out really quickly. He only took 13 sacks in those first seven games since the lions traded his number one receiver, golden Tate, who he targeted 27% of the time. Stafford's held the ball for 2.5 seconds or more on 63% of his dropback. So that's from 46 to 63% over these last two games. That is the second highest rate of holding the ball for that long in the league. And he's taken 16 sacks in those last two games alone. So more sacks in the last two games without Golden Tate than he had in the first eight with Golden Tate. This line is kind of kind of ugly. It's Carolina four and a half, but that under and the Carolina defense special teams in fantasy and DFS are definitely in play. 
The three and six Broncos at the seven and two Chargers. Chargers favored by seven, a 46 and a half point over under. This is the first of two divisional games uh, against each other this year. The Broncos have lost six of their last seven. The Chargers have won six games in a row. So I'm not even going to do advanced Joseph's stat today. I think we all know that he's not profitable to bet on, but we got to look at the Chargers snaps coming out of the bye. So in seven games before the bye versus they've had two games after Tyrell Williams went from 76% pre buy to 86% post buy. Mike Williams went from 65% before the buy to only 38% snap rate after the buy. Melvin Gordon, 70% snap rate before the buy, 84% after the buy. Austin Eckler, 34%, uh, not including the one game Melvin Gordon missed where it obviously went up. He's down from 34 to 27% after the buy. And then Virgil Green, the tight end, He's went from 69% before the buy to 84% after the buy. And while Antonio Gates went from 33% before the buy down to 20% after the buy. So kind of a, a, a few little subtle shifts in terms of who the Chargers are, are, are playing on the field. That They're putting the, their guys that they want out there for, for a higher rate of snaps. And uh, interesting to note that the Chargers are actually tied with the Chiefs and Rams for the most yards per play in the league on offense, 6.9. Yeah, that is interesting. Those are the only two teams they've lost games to. Yeah, yeah. That's another sleeping giant. Yeah. The one and eight Raiders at the two and seven Cardinals. Cardinals favored by five and a half, a 40.5 over under. Man, maybe the two worst teams in the league facing each other. Absolutely. And uh, in the Cardinals Raiders betting guide on the Action Network, there's a really cool, uh, some really cool trends uh, about the over under in this game. But I'll let you guys uh, check that out for yourselves. My nugget for y'all is Ricky Seals Jones is the number six tight end in the league in air yards. Oakland dead last in DVOA <laughs> against tight ends. RSJ is only 2,900 on DraftKings, 5,200 on FanDuel. And I don't know how much of these mysterious player pop dollars that Friedman is putting on the over on his yardage prop, but I'm guessing you're going to be on it. Almost certainly. Okay. The three and six Buccaneers at the two and seven Giants. Giants favored by one and a half. 52 point over under. I believe that game opened as a pick em. Both teams have great pass catching, skill possession players, but volatile quarterback situations. The Bucks have lost six of their last seven. The Giants have lost five of their last six. First of all, this is a game I feel like you got to bet on the Bucks in this spot. The Bucks have thrown for 400 or more yards in five of their nine games. Sometimes it's been just Ryan Fitzpatrick. A couple of times, him and Winston have combined for uh, 400. In one of the games, they've combined for 400 plus. In the sixth game, they threw for 395. In the seventh game, they threw for 365. Their lowest yardage output passing was 243. And in that game, Fitzpatrick had four passing touchdowns. So like, you, you got to just hop right back on this Bucks offense. One question, not to... Uh you know, slow this process down, but I'm going to, they have changed their play callers. How do you take that into account when looking at the Bucks this week? I think that it's going to be more of the same. I could see them perhaps giving the run game a few more tries just because Peyton Barber did look really good against Washington. But at the end of the day, it's just a talented offense. And that's just kind of the way their offense works. It's like, a, it's a pretty vertical offense. And then they have a, an efficient underneath guy in in Adam Humphreys. So, I mean, this Giants defense does not scare me. So, yeah, I would, I would expect them to rebound. Like, let's remember, they put up all these yards. And last week, they just kind of had the most ridiculous luck go against them. So, All right, last one here. The 5-4 and four Bengals, the 4-5 and five Ravens. Uh, no lines have been posted yet for this game. A.J. Green, uh, it seems as if he will certainly be out. 
Quarterback Joe Flacco is uncertain with a hip injury. It's also unclear if Lamar Jackson will start a quarterback or if Robert Griffin III will start a quarterback. So a lot is unknown here. Right. So this is interesting. We only have a small sample, six games with Joe Flacco not being under center for Baltimore, but Baltimore has been a bit undervalued in that spot four and two against the spread in the six games that Flacco has missed and somebody that could be undervalued as a result in DFS fantasy Alex Collins in the first uh, six games of the year he accounted for 56 percent of their running back carries but over the last three games he's accounted for 78 percent of the Ravens running back carries so they've been committing to him a little more using a buck out a little bit less uh, and I would expect that uh, to continue, especially when if they're down to their second or third string uh, starting quarterback. Yeah, and to your point about Alex Collins, he has actually popped at the top of one of our models at Fantasy Labs. So uh, definitely someone to consider. Okay, let's get into our third and long segment on lineup building and slate strategy right after Josh Applebaum tells us which game the wise guys are betting this week. Money talks and action Applebaum is all ears. This is the Sharp Report. NFL Week 11, we are traveling to New Orleans for a showdown between the defending champion but struggling Philadelphia Eagles and the high-flying New Orleans Saints. We've seen a matchup between two teams who are trending in opposite directions. The Eagles are 4-5. and five. They're coming off a disappointing loss, 27-20 at home against Dallas. Meanwhile, the Saints, after losing the opening game to Tampa Bay, they've ripped off eight in a row. They look unstoppable. They've crushed their opponents. They've won 51-14 to last week against the Bengals. Uh, and you've seen a huge pros versus Joes matchup in this one. The New Orleans Saints opened as a nine-point favorite at Bookmaker, one of the sharpest offshore sports books. And the public is pounding New Orleans at home in the Dome, thinking it's going to be an easy double-digit win for New Orleans. However, Sharps have been getting down on Philly in this one, buying low on Philly in a bounce-back situation. Situation. Uh, Philly is only getting 38% of spread bets, but they're getting 64% of spread dollars. This is really telling you that the big sharper wagers here are on Philly to keep it within a touchdown. Meanwhile, the average Joe $5 bets are pounding New Orleans as they just keep running through the league. You've also seen pretty good bet signal on this game. Game opened at 9 and immediately sharps at SIA hammered Philly at plus 9. Uh, since that time, it's caused the line to fall to 8.5 at Bookmaker. Interesting thing here is that uh, the 8.5 on Philly is juiced up to minus 115, which leads you to believe that it may even fall further to 8. Philadelphia Eagles also match BetLab's pro system, fade NFL win streak system. Basically, you're buying low, going against a team who's done well and covered and continues to win. As contrarian bettors always want to sell on good news, buy on bad news, take advantage of inflated lines, and the Eagles would be in a buy low situation here. That BetLab system, uh, fade streaks, NFL spread is 57% ATS. Across the market, you've seen different numbers on this game. Some books are down to 7.5, some are at 8.5, some are at 8, some are at 9. So it really depends. Uh, The market consensus is all over the place on this one. So uh, Sharps will be shopping for the best line, as always, hoping to get Philly at 9 or more. And even though the public is expecting the high-flying Saints and Drew Brees to continue to roll, Sharps are buying low on the defending champs to bounce back and keep it within one score. All right, that was Josh Applebaum. Be sure to check out his article, The Sharp Report, each week on the Action Network. Chris, uh, let's talk some strategy. Let's look at the highest-owned players in the Fantasy Labs models, uh, and let's start with Drew Brees at home versus the Philadelphia Eagles. What are you doing with him in DFS? 
He feel, I think he's, he's feeling like the safest cash play. The one concern with him is that this team runs the ball. So they're, they're a lot more committed to the run now than they have been in the past. Uh, they also have Taysom Hill, who comes in and tends to siphon snaps from Breeze. Although, you know, Breeze lines up at wide receiver in these spots, so maybe he'll catch a touchdown or something. But, you know, that that is a concern. But at the same time, like I said, I, I feel good about the Eagles offense on the other side. So I just think you have such a potential for a high-scoring game. In this one, and with, Drew, with Breeze at home, that I still feel good about him. I mentioned you know, that Panthers-Lions game. I think Cam Newton is probably, if you're not going Breeze, you probably go Cam Newton. So uh, I, I really have no problem with that. I think that the only my only thing with that is that probably will be a lower-scoring game just because Detroit has been having some trouble protecting Stafford or getting open or a combination of both. Really, I, I would say actually more getting open than, uh, than protecting Stafford. And you have Marvin Jones. On the injury report, which is not not ideal to solve that problem, so I think I still like Breeze uh, as the as the top uh, top cash play. Yeah, you mentioned Newton there. Uh, he is someone who has popped in some of our models. Any thoughts on any of these other quarterbacks? Uh, potentially Carson Wentz on the other side of that matchup going against Drew Breeze. I actually wonder what you think of it because I've just heard so many different opinions on Wentz this week. I think UI and uh, Sean Corner and our Fantasy rankings over at Action Network are pretty much in line with Wentz as like kind of uh, just like outside the top five, but inside the top 10 kind of guy. Uh, but I've seen yeah. him ranked as high as like second, third. So how do, how do you feel about Wentz going on the road to Philly? In, in my personal like, you know, projection model, he's just not popping as like a top three guy, uh, even though he's going on the road to New Orleans. So uh, how, what are you doing with him? Yeah, it, it is that situation where, you know, they're playing at the, you know, hashtag uh, trademark Coors Field, the fantasy football, like it's conceivably a good spot. I'm a little more pessimistic on that offense. I wouldn't want him in cash, but I do think he's a really good leverage play in GPPs because I think there will be a lot of people who are looking for breeze in this game. So I'm not quite as high on wins as I would be, I don't know, like another quarterback playing on the road in the Superdome. But I still think it's, it's a good spot. There is a lot of potential with that offense. I just don't feel as like certain about it, like enough to roster it in cash. Yeah, I think that's kind of about like like when you can like you don't really want to roster uh, road under especially big road underdogs like I don't think the spread should be that big but you know bottom line is it is what it is um, wisdom of the crowds is still you know still tends to be um, you know somewhat accurate and if you don't have to go there in cash I don't think you do I think one interesting play if you want to kind of capture like a, a whole offense. Um, which we try to do in, in you, like a more viable road underdog maybe would be the Cowboys because Dak is so cheap and you could kind of stack Dak and Zeke um, against that Falcons defense that has been so bad. Um, but then, you know, there's also been situations where, like I, I know Dak has a pretty um, pretty bad record versus the over in his career. So um, there's kind of question marks about that too, which always brings, really just brings me back to, to Breeze and, uh, and Cam Newton. Okay, and, and you mentioned our rankings here. Yeah, we, we both, along with Corner, have – have Carson ranked kind of in that mid-tier, right below like the top five. And people obviously can find our rankings at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. Let's talk about the running backs. Uh, someone who is standing out in our models, uh, David Johnson at home versus the Raiders. It's not often that we have the Cardinals team as a favorite, much less a home favorite, but uh, a great spot for David Johnson, especially now that there is a new offensive coordinator in town uh, in Byron Leftwich. What are you doing with David Johnson? Yeah, I think he's a he's a cash play like for you. You know this de- this open defense has been 
I mean, pretty much the worst in the league. They keep losing players. I mean, just some of the stories to come out of that locker room recently. Like, I, I think I saw uh, a quote somewhere that was just like, Dominic Rogers Cromarty rather retire than play here. Like, Bruce Irvin was like, jump for joy when he got released. Like, it's just bad in that Oakland locker room, uh, you know, on that defense because they're, they're, they're losing all their best. They're losing all their veterans. They, they, wasn't, they weren't a very talented defense to begin with. Um, so I think this is the play uh, at home at running back. Uh, like, this is your top, top play at running back this week. All right. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, you mentioned him earlier uh, in a smash spot against the Falcons. Although, of course, I'm going to be pessimistic on him because he's a cowboy. But uh, what are your thoughts on him? I mean, I think it kind of goes back to what I said about Dak and him. Like, if you're the, the more confident you are in the in this game and uh, in Dallas kind of putting up some points in Atlanta, I think the more viable it is to kind of stack him and Dak. But um, just because, you know, he's a road underdog, uh, you know, we have seen him be a little human at times this year. Uh, again, it's just one of those, like, I feel good about the Cowboys scoring a lot of points, but this is, these are cash games. So you're always trying to make what's the most likely thing to happen and what's the safest um, route I can kind of choose. And I don't think that's quite it. I, I think you kind of want to go with David Johnson and uh, maybe like a, a cheaper guy uh, at the flex, like a Deion Lewis. And then, and then you still have room to fit in another stud. Um, like a, I think Saquon, I think I feel a little better about because he, his, his, uh, his PPR floor is just higher and uh, he's going against a probably just as bad defense that maybe we kind of forgot is, is bad because of the great Alex Smith. Saquon, you mentioned him there. To me, he is the, the jam him in guy yeah. this week. He's, he's popping in our models and understandably so. Uh, he just gets so much usage, especially in the passing game, and he gets enough usage as a runner. Uh, where I think kind of regardless of however the game script shakes out this week, he's pretty much a lock for a good deal of production, especially on DraftKings. I believe that he has the highest median and highest ceiling projections in our models. And obviously he's priced up. So it's, I mean, it's not easy, but I, I think he's someone that you, you prioritize. Melvin Gordon is another person who is interesting. At home, favored. The matchup isn't great against the Broncos defense. But again, he's a three down type of player. And as you noted, since the bye week, Austin Eckler hasn't been getting nearly as many snaps, also not as many touches. So uh, what was kind of once more of a committee is now sort of like basically a monopoly for Gordon. What are your thoughts on him? First of all, I'm just like, I just want to remind and like, this doesn't disclude myself, but you know, just us as like an industry, us in general, like, I just want to remind everyone that before like the season, uh, you know, these last couple of seasons, the chatter about Melvin Gordon had always been, is this guy that good? Is he efficient enough? Is he that good? What's going on with the low yards per carry? And like, he has completely like, just destroyed that whole notion this year you know, with his play. So like, that's always something to keep in mind. Like yards per carry, I believe it stabilizes at about 2000 carries before you even get to like a, a, a correlation an R squared of 50, a 0.5, which means like, you know, it explains 50% of the, uh, of the variance. So for example, Gordon's at 5.4 yards per carry. This year. So I think that he's like, he's probably the best tournament play out of all of the ones we just mentioned, because I think he'll end up with the lowest ownership and the, his upside is, just as high as any as any of those other guys yeah Dion Lewis at the Colts relatively low salary compared to the usage that he has seen over the past two or three weeks how are you approaching him 
I love Lewis. I mean, he got, you know, he didn't smash last week. And I think I talked about it on the Monday show with Ian a couple of weeks ago, but there's going, there's always going to be time, or maybe it was last week. I think it was to do with Kareem Hunt, but there's always going to be times where a running back gets a lot of work and they just, they don't score a touchdown or they, you know, they don't, for whatever reason, they don't smash. And uh, that ended up happening with Lewis last week. Uh, he had 20 carries though mentioned over the last two weeks combined, he's playing, uh, you know, 80% of the snaps. So I think he's in a really good spot again. I think that's a lot. That's a great amount of volume to get at that price. And you're kind of getting a discount because he didn't smash. It's kind of like the square play almost to go away from him in this spot just because he didn't smash, it, you know, last week because, you know, the, the, the workload has been there. And uh, this defense for the Colts, I know you're, you're a little more, uh, you're, you're bullish on, on this Colts defense, but there's still a, a defense that I think is not, you can definitely move the ball on the Colts yeah. defense. And I think that especially with, uh, it looks like Taewon Taylor is going to miss this game. He was essentially the, the, the second most targeted receiver for the Titans. And that kind of leaves Lewis who's the second most targeted player in line to get the second most targets on this team. And so I, I think that that, this is just a good all around spot for him. And uh, you know, he did get some work inside. It was like, I know Henry got the two touchdowns, but um, you know, Lewis, you know, he looked good out there. He, he was getting in, he was getting work. Um, he just, you know, Things didn't go his way with the uh, with the touchdowns, but I think you got to go back to him in this spot. All right, uh, let's talk about some wide receivers. Three guys near the top of the salary scale. Uh, we are also projecting them to have pretty high ownership. Odell Beckham Jr. against the Bucks, Michael Thomas against the injured Eagles secondary, and Julio Jones against the Cowboys. How are you distinguishing between those three guys? I just don't know who's in a better smash spot, Jones or, or Beckham. I mean, I think those are the clear top two. Uh, you know, Julio has, he's starting to score touchdowns. He's, his yards per route run is amazing. You know, he's putting up numbers every week too. So he's in a great spot too, but um, Dallas a little bit better versus receivers. Byron Jones has been playing well out there. They have been able to kind of limit the big, big smash spots for a lot of the, uh, the better receivers they faced. So I feel better about Jones, excuse me. I feel better about Thomas and I feel better about Beckham than I do about Jones in cash games. I don't think I'm going to pay up for either of them just because uh, I think the way you're, you kind of bit, well, maybe on FanDuel, but on DraftKings, I think the, the, the better build is still kind of uh, going like the two, like David Johnson and another stud running back rather than paying up at receiver. But I think you could, you could probably make it work either way, but um, it's just that the, the stud running backs have a higher, higher floor for your, uh, for your salary. And you can usually find some, some other guys that are a little more in that mid tier that are going to get good volume at, uh, at receiver. All right. Any thoughts on any other wide receivers? Yeah. So this is, it seems like a, like a real point chasey combination, but I feel good about, feel pretty good about uh, Corey Davis, Amari Cooper and Kenny Galladay this week, just um, where they're priced at relative to the the volume that I think they have and like the upside that I think they have, you know, Galladay is in a spot where, you know, mentions, you know, Stafford's struggling, but Gaudet's really going to be the only guy, especially if Marvin Jones is banged up. I actually think it would be better if Jones played because there would be more co- like concentrated coverage on Gaudet if Jones sat out. But either way, I mean, this is a, a bad Detroit defense that's probably going to be playing catch up. So I think Gaudet's in a good spot to, to get volume. I think Corey Davis, you know, in another good spot against this Colts defense that, you know, hasn't really been able to, to, to play well against the pass. And, uh, you know, he's getting, again, 31% of their of their targets. There's really nobody else for Mariota to throw to. And then you have Cooper, who's – Dak Prescott is making a concerted effort to get him the ball. You're playing against a, a pretty bad defense. 
And as a bonus, you have a little bit of leverage on uh, on the Zeke ownership with Cooper at a much cheaper price. So um, it kind of feels a little bit point chasing, but I think all those guys are you can justify uh, playing all of those guys in uh, in cash games. All right, let's close it out with tight end Zach Ertz in the Superdome, Jordan Reed versus the Texans. Those are the two guys uh, right now where you're projecting for the highest ownership. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah, I love Ertz as a tournament play. Don't usually like to pay up at tight end. Uh, in cash games, it's just usually not the plus EV move, but I think, you know, he's obviously the top tournament, but he just has upside that, especially with, uh, with Travis Kelsey, not on the main slate, he yeah. just has upside that no other tight end has. And when you think about him as like a pass catcher in, in that price range, he's actually like not that overpriced at all. So I'm um, definitely a guy that I think you want to target in tournaments. Jordan Reed against the Texans, that's just kind of a volume bet at this point. I, like Reed isn't the same guy. I don't think that was like taking over the league a couple years ago before yeah. all those injuries in 2015. He's more of just a tight end you play when he has a good matchup and can project for decent volume. And this is another one of those spots. The Texans, remember, this is the, this is this is their weakness. So like this is the this is how you kind of attack the Texans. They are. Uh, one of the worst teams in DVOA against the the tight end. That they are the team that gave up the big uh, the big Jeff Hyman game. They're thirty first in DVOA against tight ends. So I think you just kind of go back and, and kind of play that in, in this spot with Reed, especially at, uh, on DraftKings. He's thirty eight hundred. You know, really affordable. And you, you do you do still expect him to get those five catches or so. It looks like Jamison Crowder is going to be out again. I think Chris Thompson as well. So that's one of the guys Alex Smith is going to be looking at. Okay. We're going to close out the show with our fourth and goal segment, previewing Sunday Night Football. But first, let's kick it to Ian Harditz, who runs through the key Week 11 coverage situations. The press, the jam, and the five-yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you Dance of the Divas. Week 11's wide receiver cornerback matchups feature eight potential shadow situations. The first is Antonio Brown versus Jalen Ramsey. Jaguars didn't shadow AB in either matchup last season, but AJ Boye is questionable with a calf injury, so it makes sense that the Jaguars don't let AB run wild on their backup cornerbacks. The next matchup is DeAndre Hopkins versus Josh Norman. Redskins have had a Norman shadow OBJ, Julio Jones, and Mike Evans in the last three weeks with limited success. Hopkins can win this matchup. Next shadow date is T.Y. Hilton versus Dory Jackson. Titans have used Dory in shadow coverage five times over the last two seasons. He did shut down Hilton last year with Jacoby Brissett under center, but again, this is a matchup Hilton can win. Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay will see James Bradbury and Dante Jackson from the Panthers. Jones is questionable with a knee injury. It's tough to say who's going to guard who because Bradbury usually takes the bigger guy and Jackson the faster guy, and Galladay is bigger and faster than Marvin Jones. Devin Funches should see plenty of Darius Slay. We saw Allen Robinson go off last week with Darius Slay out, but he's been practicing this week and we're expecting him to play. Very tough matchup for Funches, and he has weekly volume concerns with Olsen back. Cortland Sutton should see Casey Hayward. Chargers had Hayward shadowed Demarius Thomas in recent years, and Emmanuel Sanders spends most of his time in the slot. Allen Robinson should see Xavier Rhodes. Uh, the Vikings' stuck corner has basically locked down everybody this year, and A-Rob also has weekly volume concerns considering all the weapons the Bears have. My favorite matchup of the week is Julio Jones versus the Cowboys. Byron Jones, the Cowboys' number one cornerback, is very talented, but he doesn't travel, so we're expecting Julio to run plenty of his routes against Chidobia Wuzier and Anthony Brown, who each rank outside of PFS top 70 cornerbacks. Hulu has been playing great this season, but we haven't seen a token massive blow-up spot. 11 of his 16 career games with 30-plus DraftKings points have come at home. All right, that was Ian. Be sure to check out his wide receiver cornerback matchup column each week at the Action Network. Chris, Sunday Night Football, 
the five and three Vikings at the six and three Bears. Bears favored by two and a half, a 44.5 over under. The total is down from 45 and a half. The Vikings are coming off the bye. The Bears have won three straight games. Uh, the first of two games that these teams will play against each other this year. How are you looking at this game? I think that there's a little bit of value here on the Minnesota side of this because I'm not sure the Bears are, you know, even on a neutral field, the better team. So, um, you know, they're at home. They're getting the, the two and a half. They'll probably get to the three. But uh, I, I like the Vikings here. They needed, they really did need that buy to kind of regroup, get people healthy. Um, their defense was really banged up. Dalvin Cook was banged up. But now they're kind of coming out of the buy. Cook giving them that explosive element. Um, you know, he's up over four yards of carry now after a rough start. Murray's at four and a half yards of carry. Um, and then the Minnesota defense, they're number one on third down. And they're number two in, uh, in red zone defense, a percentage, uh, percentage of touchdown allowed. So they're actually, they, like, even though they've kind of had these rough spots and it's been ugly at times, like they, their defense has still kind of done what, it, what we expected it to do. Um, and yes, they did play teams like the Bills and the Jets, but they also played the Packers, the Rams, the Saints. So um, the, the schedule has been fairly balanced, I would say, for the most part. As the underdog, like, I think this is a, a pretty a, a toss-up, even, uh, even though Chicago's at home. So I like Minnesota here as the, uh, the two-and-a-half-point underdog. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. Two-and-a-half. I would wait. Like, officially, I would wait to bet this till three. And I think it probably will move there. But, you know, for the purposes of this, yeah, I, I will take them at two-and-a-half. Coming off the bye, they should be healthy. Dalvin Cook, especially – uh, should be healthier. He's he had some lingering issues all season. You know, getting digs back, I think, will be very big for this offense. Uh, and they've had some defensive injuries that I think will have time to have healed over the bye. So it's hard to say either one of these teams is clearly superior to the other. So I will take the team coming off the bye, getting points. Chris, you're going to break down the Monday night game and what a game that is going to be. It is, mm-hmm. it is so disappointing that we don't have some of these great games on the main slate, but that's just how it is. Uh, the Monday night game going to be fantastic. Moved to Los Angeles, but uh, the Chiefs playing in Los Angeles against the Rams, you're going to preview that with Ian on the Monday show. Any final words? Let's get this money. All right, that is going to do it for the Friday episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Raybon, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode. Peace.